somebody told me the other day, he was in an argument with a priest. I won't get into the nits of it, what it was all about. Um, but uh, the, the priest was telling him, you really shouldn't do that. And he was arguing why he should do that. And the priest said to him, well, you know, sometimes you just have to be prudent. And I almost screamed when I heard this, that a priest, and I understand he's a pretty good priest, said this. But that, that's, a, that's a very lowbrow concept of prudence. Sometimes you have to be prudent. No. You have to be prudent all the time. In every human act that you do, you have to be prudent. Otherwise, what you do is going to be bad. Right? So virtue is impossible without prudence. So for a priest to tell somebody, well, you know, sometimes you have to be prudent, that's like saying sometimes you have to be just. You know, sometimes you shouldn't steal. You know, sometimes you shouldn't uh, fail to give the other person what's due to him. Sometimes you shouldn't be temperate. You know, there are times you should be gluttonous and, and, and you know, and, and impure. But, you know, at times you have to be, you know, temperate. Now, you, you, I'm sure this priest wouldn't give that advice. But you can't, neither can you say, well, sometimes you have to be prudent. No, you have to be prudent all the time. Sometimes you have to perhaps focus more on what's the prudent thing to do in this difficult situation. But never, I mean, if you're a priest listening, never please tell somebody, sometimes you have to be prudent. We have to be prudent all the time. In chapter three of his book, The Four Cardinal Virtues, which he entitles Delimitations and Contrasts, Dr. Pieper spends some pages critiquing the overdependence of modern moralists on casuistry. Now, I'm not going to get too much into this. Um, casuistry is a kind of study of moral cases as opposed to the Okay, so you have moral cases, which is, you know, so uh, this guy and that guy, you know, Bob and Bill go into a business and they take out a loan and they owe this much in interest and Bob abandons Bill. Now Bill has to pay the bank back this much. What's the just thing to do? You get all of these particular cases. It's called casuistry. It comes from the word for causa, case, casus or, uh, in Latin, a case. And it's the study of legal cases, really. It came from the study of law, but it was imported into moral theology. And it has a certain um, place. But um, when casuistry dominated the field of moral theology, it became sort of destructive because people lost a sight of prudence and people lost sight of the, the, the higher principles that need to be kept in mind. And they just made it into this, this, this um, hair-splitting series of studies of particular cases. Uh, the Pharisees had a kind of casuistry, and t- the Talmud is full of, of rather grotesque casuistry. Anyway, um, so he, I'm going to give you instead a little florilegium of quotes from Dr. Pieper's book um, on what he calls delimitations and contrasts. Okay, so he cites Pope St. Gregory the Great. If the other virtues did not accomplish their ends with prudence, they can in no way be virtues. Now, prudence means, end of quote from St. Gregory, Pieper continues, now prudence means, as we have already stated many times, nothing less than the directing cognition of reality. The directing cognition of reality. So he's constantly sort of redefining prudence, but he's redefining it in order to emphasize that fundamental meaning that it is, as he says uh, elsewhere, uh, the perfected ability uh, to uh, the, effect, the perfected wait, I'm, I'm sorry, I thought I had this memorized and apparently I don't. Let me, let me grab it here in something that I wrote. It is, quote, 
The perfected ability to make good choices. That's what Dr. Pieper calls it. The perfected ability to make good choices. That's the fundamental um, concept of what prudence is. And he's constantly, you know, redefining it and giving giving that, uh, you know, it's kind of, that's kind of like a gem. And he's constantly showing different facets um, of that gem so that we understand um, the fullness of what this actually means. So it's the directing cognition or the directing thought of reality. So Dr. people quote St. Thomas, quote, But the means to the end in human concerns, far from being fixed, are of manifold variety according to the variety of persons and affairs. Now, he says that so that we understand that textbook moral cases aren't sufficient. So, St. Thomas himself talked about the, the, the various circumstances in which man finds himself being so varied, they are varied as much as there are different men and different circumstances in which those men find themselves. So, books of moral guidance that were limited specifically to casuistry would be impossible. I mean, you'd have to fill the earth with them to sort of borrow from St. John's Gospel um, to uh, have an, an idea of how we should behave in every single um, set of circumstances. So this is why um, we should have prudence instead. It is exclusively the business of prudence to form a right judgment concerning individual acts exactly as they are to be done here and now. Again, I'm saying that prudence is practical, and yes, it is. Uh, human activity, Dr. Pieper says, has two basic forms, doing, agire, and making, facere. These are two verbs in Latin, agere and facere. They kind of overlap in meaning because they both have a concept of do, to do, but one is to do as in moral action, the other is to do as in making something. Artifacts, technical and artistic, are the works of making. In fact, artifacts come from the word facere. Um, we ourselves, though, we are the works of doing. Again, it's quoting Dr. Pieper. So that's a lot to chew on there. If artifacts, say a, a painting, okay, a sculpture, consider a sculpture that you've made or somebody else has made, that is the work of that person's making. He has um, engaged in facere, to make. Okay, but what is the product of our, not facere, but agere, our doing? It is ourselves. So this is uh, very important in, in relation to prudence because there's a definition of prudence. It's recta ratio agibilium, right reason in the domain of doing, specifically doing in moral action. Here's another Pieper quote, the human self, which grows towards perfection by accomplishing the good, is a work that surpasses all preconceived blueprints based upon man's own calculations. Ethical growth takes place in the course of our replies, appropriate to each given case, to the reality outside of us, which is not made by ourselves. 
So this is a, this is a very interesting concept of, of ethics, okay? It's not, it's not static. Yes, the, the principles of ethics are static. In other words, they are unchanging. You know, the, the, the Decalogue doesn't change, you know, with the times. It's not optional. It's not a list of suggestions. And yes, it is absolute, uh, no matter what a certain high-ranking um, ecclesiastic recently said. The Decalogue, the, the, the commands of the Decalogue are absolute, and they are to guide us in all of our activity. But the reality outside of ourselves, which is not made by ourselves, is constantly changing. So the the particular application of the Decalogue uh, to the changing realities of our life, to the vicissitudes in which we find ourselves, is going to call for a virtue that tells us, how do you be good here and now, right? How do you have that uh, perfected ability to make good choices according to the moral law as it's summarized in the Decalogue in the here and now? And that's why, again, casuistry is not sufficient. You don't just look in the manual. Like, if you find yourself in exactly these circumstances, this is what you have to do. Such a manual doesn't exist. That's why we need prudence. Um, Dr. Pieper goes on, the man who does good follows the lines of an architectural plan, which has not been conceived by himself, and which he does not understand as a whole, nor in all of its parts. This architectural plan is revealed to man from moment to moment. In each case, he sees only a tiny segment of it, as through a narrow crack, never so long as he is in the state of being on the way, will the concrete architectural plan of his own self become visible to him in its rounded and final shape. Well, I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty darn profound. Okay, so we're going along as you will in an architectural plan that we can't see. And because we can't see it, we have to have prudence in the here and now because it does have a terminus. It does have an, an end, but we don't quite know exactly what that end is. So we have to be striving to practice prudence in the midst of it all. If we knew the end, maybe it would be easier, but, you know, life is not easy. The man who does good follows the lines of an architectural... Okay, a moral theology which relies too much upon casuistry necessarily becomes a science of sins instead of a doctrine of virtues or a theory of the Christian idea of man. So the Christian idea of man is a doctrine of virtues. It's not merely a science of sins. Moral theology isn't a study of sin. It's a study of what is normative, how we ought to act. Not, you know, yes, it, secondarily it has to consider how we shouldn't act and, and therefore how we correct the habits that come by bad action. But guess what? The correcting of that begins with prudence because it's, it, if, if, if virtue is the alternative to vice and if prudence is the, the, the mother and the mold of, uh, of all the other virtues, the charioteer of the other virtues, then we need it even to find our way out of vice, don't we?